So we are so excited uh, to have Tracy Espeseth with us. You know, the reason I wanted to just introduce her, I'll, say, I'll, I'll tell you about the practical pieces. Um, she currently serves as the Director of Development for Compassion First, and we have a stand back there, and I would encourage you guys to take some time after service to ask questions. She has probably most of the answers. Um, I, find out what's going on, but she's the director of development there. It's a Christian relief organization that provides personalized care to those who've been rescued um, from or, or at risk of sex trafficking in Indonesia specifically. Um, she and her husband, Jeff, have served together as Foursquare pastors for over 30 years, and they just recently in obedience to the Lord, which I think is really cool. They had a church in Washington where they were serving as pastors and left that to go where the Lord has called them to go plant a church. And planting a church is not for the faint of heart. Um, and I always think when you're leaving something that you have that is for sure. <laughs> and then to take that um, and say, hey, we're going to move um, to a different, to completely different location and do the unsure thing, but do it in obedience to the Lord um, is just a huge, huge thing. And so um, I know that Tracy has two children, um, one son-in-law and one grandson who is absolutely adorable. Um, but the thing is, uh, we've known Tracy and her husband, Jeff, for quite some time. And what what I, I mean, these are the things that she does. Um, but what I know to be true about Tracy is she like is the love of Jesus in a human form. If you could, if you could get it, I don't know if that's heresy to say. Um, but it's when you, when you know Tracy, you know the love of Jesus. There is a tenderness and a gentleness and a kindness. Um, those are not all of the first attributes that I walk in. So when I see people who walk in that, at first, um, when that's the first thing of who they are, I, I admire it and I love it so much. It just speaks and ministers when you see it. She is one of the most genuine people that I have met. And I say that to be true because I have seen and known um, her for many years. Um, and so to see that that is the same, whether she was serving here, where, wherever she's been, when you see Tracy, Tracy is the real deal. And um, I don't say that lightly. And so when we, when she asked if she could just come and share, we asked her, would you come and just share with us a word? And so we are so blessed to have you. So Tracy, would you come on up here? And, and we are so excited. Would you guys welcome Tracy? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to move out of your way. This is a special place. Um, I was really thrilled when Susie and Jay were sharing with me a little bit um, back, I think it was in February, March timeframe, about how you all landed here and the gift of just this property to your church body. Um, that in itself, I just thought was such a special, just kind of kiss of heaven, right? God looking down and saying, I see you, I know you, and honoring your faithfulness. But when we were worshiping this morning, the, the sense that I just had throughout our entire time of worship is the faithfulness of this body, the faithfulness of this expression of Christ's church in this community. And Jay and Susie, your day-to-day, everyday, showing up, being faithful to what and who God has called you to be, and to saying yes to opportunities, 
and walking through the doors that he's opening and having patience to not walk through the doors that he's not opening is a testament to your, the way that you're tuned in and committed to the Holy Spirit and to the Lord. And so thank you. Thank you for serving and loving your community so well. And Kim and Tim, the, just the heritage and the foundation and the, and the legacy of serving faithfully for years in this community and just being that strong tower that people know that they are going to be there, they are going to be faithful, they're gonna represent the love of Jesus to all of those around them and to be obedient. Thank you for loving your community so well. And it's, it really is an honor for me to be able to be here with you this morning. One of, the favorite, one of my favorite things that I get to do is be in the local church with people. Um, to be able to see different expressions of Christ church around the country and to be able to come alongside and see how pastors are serving and loving their community and how faithfully people are coming together to love their community well and to, and to be that shining light, that city on a hill to people who desperately need Jesus. Um, and I think this just location of your property here is so cool in the middle of a neighborhood to be able to be situated here just around homes where people live and do their day-to-day -day life and to be able to show up and be here and just to be able to say, yes, we're a part of this community. We see you, we know, we know you, we love you. You're invited in, we want you to be a part of our lives. What an amazing gift. So I, this is a huge blessing to me to be here with you this morning. Thank you. Um, I wanted to start by sharing just a little bit about who Compassion First is and why we do what we do. Um, I think as Christians, of course, we all know it's really important what we do. You know, we're called faith without works is dead. <laughs> um, and, and our actions are important. The things that we do and the actions that we take really matter. But what matters even more is the way that we do them and the why that we do them. You know, we see in Samuel where, you know, God speaks and says, man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And what really drew me to compassion first in the beginning was the heart of God expressed through it and the why behind what we do that speaks to the nature of God and his love for his people. Um, so our values um, came out of the feeding of the 5,000 and the lessons that are learned through this. And by name, or the biblical definition by name of compassion first, our very name speaks to that, which is compassion is a type of love that's aroused within you that demands action. So it's not just a feeling. It's not just a feeling of compassion. By definition, compassion means that you see something and you say, that's not right. That's not the way it should be. I'm compelled to do something about it. That's the, the true definition, biblical definition of compassion, which is the work that we're in, in um, walking alongside survivors of trafficking and coming alongside and providing solutions so that people don't get trapped in, in trafficking. It's, it's in response to the love of God for people to say, that's not right and I have to do something about it. Um, 
It stems, like I said, from the feeding of the 5,000, which is where we draw our values from. And I apologize. I was at a conference this week at a church in Kenosha, and I left my Bible in the back of a pew. So I don't have it with me this morning, but I think we have the scripture to put up on the screen that um, we can read together. And I'd like to invite you all to stand with me and read it out loud together. I think throughout the week, we have all kinds of things that come flying off our lips. Um, Some of them thoughtful, some of them not so thoughtful, and I just love the practice of being intentional about coming together and saying we are going to speak the words of life together into this space. So will you join me in just reading this together? After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs and he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told the disciples, now go gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled the 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten them for the five barley loaves. Thank you, you can be seated. I love this story. I mean, number one, just because it makes me laugh a little bit. You know, you look and you see, okay, so Jesus asks Philip, you know, Philip, well, what are you going to do? He already knew the answer. He's just testing Philip. <laughs> you know, you just, you see so much of the humanity of the day-to-day interactions that we have and the opportunities for us to be able to say yes and respond to Jesus. Um, you know, we, with Within our ethos and our, our world and compassion first in our team, we talk about it in terms of, of everyday living, which is, which is our faith, right? It's every day we're living out the mundaneness of love. We're living out the mundaneness of, you know, of our faith and our actions. And there's, there's these peak moments where you see these miracles, but so much of what we're doing in our day-to-day life is showing up, being faithful, saying yes. And Jesus is like, hey, come along, come along with me. And we get the opportunity to walk in that. So the first lesson, the first value that we, that we draw from this scripture is this. It's compassion first. So in Matthew and Mark, Jesus, um, the words that are used, it says Jesus was moved by compassion for the people. He saw they were vulnerable. He saw they were hungry. He saw a need. And he was moved to action by the suffering of the people that were there. Um, Mark 6 says he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So it wasn't just 
I see a need, gee, while you're hungry, why don't you guys, why don't you all figure that out? But it was, I see a need, I'm going to solve that for you. I'm moved by compassion. And that informs everything that we do as an organization. It's compassion first. It's a response of the love of God to the vulnerable and to, the, and to suffering. The second thing is this. Jesus recruits us into his work. So we all know he could have worked a miracle without those five fish and two loaves, right? I mean, we see, we have other examples in the Bible where God miraculously provides manna and quail, where he brings food to Elijah through ravens. He makes water come out of a rock. He doesn't need those fish and loaves to multiply. A matter of fact, I am of the persuasion that God doesn't need them at all, but he wants them. He invites them in, and he says, here's an opportunity. Do you want to come be a part of this with me? Do you want to be an expression of my power and love to these people? And I think for us in our, in our day-to-day lives as well, it's, that just really flips the script on a lot of what I was taught growing up in Sunday school, which is, you know, we're, if you know, God, God needs us, and we're the hands and feet of Jesus, and if we don't do it, then what's he going to do? And as if God is handicapped by our no, um, God is all-powerful and mighty, with or without us, but we have the honor of being invited in to be a part of the work that he wants to do, be a part of the redemptive work that he's doing here on earth and extending an invitation to people to be able to say yes to him, to have that eternal relationship with him as well. So what a gift that we're invited in. Jesus invites us into our work. He recruits us to his work alongside him. Number three is this, is Jesus asks us to give out of what he has already given us. He's asking us to give out of what he has provided, not something that we don't have. So he looks and says, what's already here? What's in the room? Five loaves and two fish. Great, bring them to me. Let's work with that. What we already have. He's not calling us to do something. He has already equipped us. He's already prepared us. He's paved the way, and he's just looking for us to say, yes, here are the gifts you've given me. Will you use them for your glory? So Jesus, Jesus asks us to give out of the gifts that he has already given us. Now, the fourth thing is this, blessing follows order. So you see Jesus says, divide them up and tell them all to sit down, divide them up into groups. He established a distribution system. He created order, and through that, they were able to distribute. Everybody was able to be fed. You didn't see a mass riot or chaos or you know, things like that going on. He created a distribution center and then a distribution system, and then blessing followed that order. And then the fifth thing is this, is that we are called to Jesus' standard of stewardship. All of the things that we touch, that we have opportunity to be a part of, all of the gifts that we've been given, just as Pastor Jay was saying earlier, we are responsible to steward those because those are gifts from God. They're heavenly resources. It's the sacred in our everyday secular life. And Jesus calls, says to them, okay, now, you know, everybody's been fed. Everybody's satisfied. Now you go out, pick up all the leftovers. Now, we, we also know there wouldn't have had to have been leftovers. I mean, it would have been just as a powerful story if everybody was fed and satisfied and it was just exactly the right amount and there was nothing left. But this incredible example of God's abundance where he says, look, 
provided above and beyond. Now I want you to go out, collect all the leftovers, and there's 12 baskets left over. But it wasn't just wasted on the ground. Bring those back and collect them up. Now we don't have an example, we don't, it doesn't tell us what happened to those 12 baskets of food. I'm fairly certain because of just what I know of the nature of God that they weren't wasted, right? One of the, one of the, the um, scripture translations, which I haven't been able to find, but I know that I have read, uses the phrase, not a piece hit the ground, nothing was wasted. So we don't know what happens with those 12 baskets. I like to imagine one of those 12 baskets went home with, one of the, with the little boy who gave his fish and loaves and was like, oh my goodness, mom, you're not gonna believe what happened to my lunch. <laughs> um, but no matter where they went, they're a testimony of God's faithfulness, of God's provision. And it was through the obedience of them saying, you know what, we're gonna come back and we are gonna steward those resources well to the best of our ability. So that's, these are also the five core principles of compassion first. It's the values that we were founded on. First, we act out of compassion for God's heart. And we're not just, we're not just moved, we're not just saddened, we're not just concerned, but we are moved to action because we look at it and say, this is not God's intended best for the world. Um, when, God, when God invites us in, we say yes. So we only go where we're invited. Every opportunity that we have in Indonesia is be, is, has been at the invitation of somebody in the country who has said, will you please come and help us in this area? And then we work with the um, indigenous Indonesian people to be able to work in their own country there. Um, we work out of what God's given, given us. So we, and, and ask the same of all those who partner. We're not, we're, we are not looking to say, God's short on money, you know, we need you, we, we need to, you know, um, manipulate or we need to connive or we're just saying, hey, you know what, God's, al God's already given all of us something. What has he given me that I can use to further his kingdom? Um, blessing follows order. Everything needs to be done decently and in order. And then again, just being a good steward of everything that God has given us. So, I can stand here today and say these have been our guiding these have been our guiding principles as I have lived and and worked with compassion first and, and really tried to implement those these things into my own life it's also with a recognition that there are situations represented in this room that seem insurmountable and intractable that would seem as impossible as 5,000 men plus the women and children and whatever number that that adds up to standing there and having five loaves and two fishes. It looks impossible. Health concerns, addictions, family rifts, financial problems, housing issues, um, just the fact of the, that there are people in this room tells me that those things are all represented. They always are. And this isn't just a story that happened a few thousand years ago. This is God's story for us. This is God's story for you all today as well. Jesus is present and he is moved by compassion for the things that are weighing down on you. And his miracles look different and his answers look different in, in different situations and I recognize that, but he is also incredibly faithful. And so through this, I think my word of encouragement just 
to us today as God's representative, as, God's, as this representation of Christ's body, is to lean into the faithfulness of God. Have a listening ear and opportunities to be able to say, God, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart in, in my community? What breaks your heart in my personal relationships? What breaks your heart in my workplace? And how are you calling me to respond? What have you given me that I can, be, that I can use to be able to be a blessing to others? And will you please take that and multiply it in a miraculous way to be able to be a gift of your healing and power and sustenance? And Father, help me to be a good steward of all of those opportunities. And for the, where those places are represented in your own life this morning, I, want, I encourage you as a church body to be looking out amongst each other and saying, you know, what, what can I do for the person on my left or my right? I have this intractable need, and I know that God's going to meet me, and in the midst of it, that he's also going to be faithful to work and move through me at the same time. But Father God, Thank you. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you meet us where we are at. Thank you that as you're created, as you're chosen, Father is the very representation of the image of God here on earth. Lord, that you know us, that you love us, and that you care deeply. Father, and for each of the needs represented in this room, Lord, I pray that even this morning that you would speak words of healing and hope and vision. Father, that for those that are weary, that you would lift up their heads and their shoulders and that you would speak, Lord, that you would just speak hope that she would speak hope and life into the weary places. Father, for those areas that feel like embers that are nearly burnt out, that she would breathe life. Father, I pray for your provision, Lord. I pray for your provision for this congregation, financially, relationally. Father, I pray that each of, each of those represented in this room would be filled to overflowing in such a way that this community would not be able to help but notice the work that you're doing. Father, I pray for healing. Father, and we contend for the miraculous in and through Chapel Valley, in and through the lives of her pastors, in and through the lives of her elders and council members and Sunday school workers and worship team members and people who, who find themselves walking through the doors for the first time. Father, we contend for the miraculous. Thank you, Jesus. So a little bit about compassion first. Um, to talk to you a little bit first about where we work. So you can go to the map of there first. Um, I, before I started with Compassion First, I knew about this much about Indonesia. 
other than it was a Southeast Asian country. So a couple of facts that, um, that inform just our day-to-day -day work is this. Indonesia is the fourth most populous country in the world. It is the largest archipelago, string of islands, in the world. So to get from one end to the other is about the same distance as from the very tip of Alaska to the tip of Florida. So it's about a 12-hour flight end to end across the islands. 17,000 islands, about 6,000 of them are inhabited. So it's an, it's an incredibly complex way place to work, which also, I think looking at that, you can understand why it would be so vulnerable to the issue of exploitation and trafficking. It's very easy for people with malintent to move people from island to island. And you can go to the next slide there. So we're work, we work in four different provinces, four different, four different areas um, within Indonesia. We started up in North Sulawesi at the invitation of the GDPI, which is the Foursquare's branch in Indonesia, the GDPI leader, um, national leader there, to say, hey, would you come in and do open an aftercare, residential aftercare home from girls that are being rescued from trafficking. And we began that about 13 years ago and since then have expanded into these four different areas. So we're in North Sulawesi, Bali, East Java, and then West Java is the province where Jakarta is, which is where the capital is. And our, our headquarters in Indonesia are in Jakarta. We're registered there as a Christian organization and we have been incredibly blessed with favor from the government and from the local province and police um, through relationships that have been built just through faithfulness there for them saying, yes, come on in. We recognize that you're Christian. Our operations in, in West Java are in a green zone, which is a primarily Muslim by culture, but also by law place. And we are, we are there registered as a Christian organization with favor from the government and police. So we feel very honored by that. Um, that is, tr is truly a gift of God. Um, you can go on to the next slide. Um, so we work in an incredibly complex field of trafficking. And it's one where we don't necessarily tell the story of the people that we serve, of the survivors or, or of the at-risk children that we serve. Um, and that is intentional, and it's, it's because of this. Those are their stories, not ours. Um, some of them will choose to tell their stories, and sometimes, you know, if you review like our videos and things online, you'll see every now and again a story that's told, and that has been at the request of the survivor that we, that we serve who says, I would like to be able to share the journey that I was on, and then we help facilitate her, help her facilitate to tell that story. Um, but other than that, their stories are theirs. So we, we're able to come in and say, hey, look, this is our heart. These are the types of things that we provide, but the stories of the people that we serve are their stories, and we extend the dignity to them to be able to tell them. We're committed to ethical storytelling. The reason being this, there's an ethic to selling sensation. And it's a lot, it's easy to come in and to say, listen to all of these horrible things that are happening. You know, listen to the, look, watch and see what these things have happened. And it can, it can almost feel like it tips towards voyeurism. Um, you know, it's, it's like the proverbial train wreck, right? You just, you want to look, but you can't look away. And then, and then your heart's stirred up and you're heartbroken because you've seen these things. We've, we've chosen a path of not, we've, we've chosen not to take that path. We've chosen to take the path of eth ethical storytelling. 
And instead, when we do tell stories, we talk about our 70 plus Indonesian staff who are the pillar of everything that we do, that show up day in and day out. And we feel like not only do we not want to re-exploit these girls by selling their stories and selling sensationalism again as a means to an end, but also it dishonors, and you can go to the next slide there, it's, it dishonors these people. This is a fraction of our 70 plus staff in Indonesia who show up day in and day out and faithfully work with, with these girls and in these communities to serve. These are our heroes. And much the same, um, Jay and Susie and, and Tim and Kim and Pastor Larry, you know, as you, there's, there's a lot of the work that you're doing that is awesome and exciting and these big, robust moments. But a lot of what you do day to day is just day to day faithfulness showing up. And we want to honor the fact that these men and women, that's what they're doing a lot of the time. They're showing up, they're serving, they're running a house full of 14 teenage girls that a lot of times looks like a big teenage girl slumber party. And then a lot of times is really, really difficult. Um, right now we have it just as a side note, if you would, will join me in prayer for our operation in Sarah's house, we have an incredibly dif difficult situation that's going on there right now. And our staff needs a lot of prayer surrounding that. I have an alarm set on my phone that went off during worship um, every day at 10 o'clock that says, pray for Monado. Um, and we've committed to do that just round the clock prayer as our team. But if you would join me in prayer, just as you think about it for our operations and our staff at Sarah's house, that would be wonderful. I would really appreciate it. Um, so as Susie mentioned, Compassion First, it's a, it's a Christian development relief agency. We're registered as a Christian agency in, in Indonesia, and we work for the safety and recovery of at-risk children in particular, minor girls who have been rescued from sex trafficking, and then largely in the community to be able to provide prevention and pathways so that they don't ever get trafficked in the first place. So a good portion of our work, and you can go to the next slide, a good portion of our work goes to residential aftercare. We have a couple of residential aftercare homes. They provide 24-hour, around-the-clock care for girls who have been legally rescued by police from trafficking. So we have an MOU signed with the police department. When they are informed of a, of a rescue that needs to happen, they will call us and say, we're going to make a rescue. We send staff along with them. We contact the girl's family. And then we help case manage and navigate what the next best steps are. If the girl has a safe place to go, then we help get her home and then we, and we work with the family in her home so that she can be there and thrive and be reunited with her family and have the tools and things she needs to be safe. If she doesn't have a safe place to go, we have a 24-hour residential care that's about a two-ish, it's individualized, but about a two-year program where she receives everything that she needs, trauma-informed counseling, medical care, dental care, all of the things that both a teenager needs just as their day-to-day -day life, but then the specific needs that they would need when they're coming out of a situation where they've experienced multiple sexual traumas and have been trafficked. Um, they have 20, we have 24-hour security that's provided there for them as well. Um, one of the big things that we do as part of our aftercare is catch-up education. So when girls come to us, they typically will come about two years behind in their education. And as you can imagine, if you're 12, 13, 14 years old and you're two years behind in education, 
you're done with your education. And we have made a commitment that that is not the case. So we're actually also a licensed education facility, and we have teachers on site and tutors on site that are able to work with these girls to help them get caught up with the goal of being, we want to get you mainstreamed back into the education system in a safe way. And that um, then becoming part of their story to be able to say, I did it, I finished, I have opportunities. Um, The real story of that is that we're providing venues for her to have agency over her future. It's not just that education is a means to an end, but it's a, it's a venue for her to be able to say, I have agency and I can choose what I want to do in the future. Um, all of these situations that we encounter are informed by poverty in one way or another. So either the girls have been duped and have been told there's an opportunity for you on this island to work this great job where you're gonna be able to make great money, and they go and they show up and it's not what they thought. Um, or perhaps they have a friend who comes alongside who has lots of nice things and says, oh, well, if, you, you know, if you'll just do X, Y, Z, then you'll be able to have these nice things too, and then it turns into this cycle where they never thought they were gonna end up. Um, all informed by poverty, and what we're saying is that it doesn't have to be that way. You can have choices. And the only difference really between these girls that we're serving and our own kids, our own family, is environment and opportunity. They have all of the skills and the smarts and the talents, all of those things, and just don't have the opportunity or environment to be able to extend them. So we're saying we want to provide that for you so that you can choose God's best path for your future. Um, so when they come to us, we ask them the question. We say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Which is what we ask all of our kids, right? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want your life to look like? And at first when they come, the trauma is speaking for them. You can't think five or 10 minutes ahead of time because you're in survival mode. But eventually the girls are able to dream and think about, okay, what about 30 minutes from now? What about tomorrow? What about next week? And eventually they're thinking about what about my future down the road? And when they're able to answer that question, what do you want to do when you graduate high school? We listen to the answer, and then we try not to flinch and work with them to help them make their dreams come true. And sometimes that dream looks like going to college. Right now, we have nine different girls that are in college. Um, we have somebody in medical school, another that is in law school, we have a couple in nursing school, we have a girl who just graduated from seminary and is being um, appointed as a vicar in the local church. Incredible, amazing futures of their choice. And we also celebrate the girls who come to us and say, you know what, I just wanna go home and take care of my grandma. I just wanna go home and get married and have a baby. And we say, that is awesome. Let's do everything that we can do to make sure that when you get back in your, in your community, you are safe and you are a blessing to your family and you are the best mom, you are the best daughter, you are the best granddaughter to your family that you can be. Because it's her choice, it's her life, it's her, and she has agency and that's where the big win is. We celebrate every single one of them when they set their goals and they reach them. And when they fall short, which they do like we all do, 
we say, you know what? We're a safe landing place. Let's get up. Let's dust ourselves off. Let's try again. Let's move forward together. Um, another area, you can go to the next slide. The other, another area of our care is law enforcement, which I hinted towards earlier. We have a partnership with the police. So we work very closely with them. They do legal rescues. Indonesia is a tier two watch list country, which means they have laws on the books that, that are against trafficking, that make it illegal, but they have no funding to be able to actually implement those laws. And so one of the things that we do that our resources go to is funding law enforcement. So they, they will come and say, you know, we have this rescue. We need to buy plane tickets to get the police officers there. We need you know, a plane ticket for the family. We need hotel rooms. We need food. We need these different things. So we help fund those rescues. Um, we also provide legal representation for the girls when they have the opportunity to go face their perpetrator in court. We've, ne we've negotiated closed court settings so they don't have to be in the room with their perpetrator. Um, as well as one of the really cool things that um, just opened up to for us recently in partnership with Love Justice International is a, is a transit monitoring project. So we have our staff embedded, embedded in local ferry ports and they work as part with, along with the Port Authority. They're, they've been trained by the FBI with forensic skills to be able to look and identify potential traffickers and kids that are at risk. They stop them before they even get into the ferry port and ask to see their papers and do some interviewing with them. And if it turns out that they feel like this is not a safe situation, they call the port police in, and the port police then take the next steps, and we work with the family to get the girls home. We've had over 40 interceptions in the last year as we've had this, girls that have been prevented in the first place. Yep. It's that, it's just the coolest, Thing to me to think they never have to experience that in the first place. And I, the thing that excites me about that too is that it's the partnership with another NGO. So Love Justice International and Compassion First have signed an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding together, where we are working together to make those things happen um, very open-handedly, which is just the coolest thing to me, that the kingdom work there. Um, and then you can go on to the next slide. So the final area of our work is prevention work. And it's the thing is true prevention work is incredibly complicated. So we're dealing with communities that happen to be above ground cemeteries that are outside the major cities of Indonesia, which is a cultural phenomenon in Indonesia. So you can see the graves that are here, the skyline there of Surabaya in the background. But amongst these sarcophagi, there are lean-to houses and huts. And they're populated by day laborers. So during the day, they sweep the graves for pennies. They may go out and do you know, different, different day laborer things, which means they're working that day to feed their kids that day. And then at night, these cemeteries turn into penny brothels. And the women that live amongst the graves put their children to bed in their, in their houses around, their lean-tos, they put their kids to bed, they go out and they sell themselves on the graves for pennies a transaction in order to feed their kids. And here's the thing, which of us would not do everything that we had to do in order to feed our kids? These moms are heroes. And we are so honored that they have said, will you come in 
and help, not even at the beginning, do something for us, but will you come in to help provide opportunity so that our kids have another option, so that our kids have a choice in what they want to do and how they spend their life, and so this generational chain can be broken. And so we have a couple of community centers that are located, just one of them within the cemeteries, another one just outside the cemetery, where we um, do partnered scholarships with parents. So we, we have 48 kids who are going to school, and we come along with the parents and say, what are you going to bring to the table? What can we bring to the table? It's all, it's all very individualized per child. Sometimes the parent says, I have, I have a few dollars that I can contribute for their food and books, sometimes they have nothing, and they say, but I'll show up for a parenting class, or I'll show up for tutoring once a week. And we have agreement plans with each of the parents of these 48 kids. They're going to school full time. They have opportunity. We just had our first girl who started in those programs graduate from college this year, which just incredible, a completely different opportunity and future for her to be able to walk into. Um, we have, the, in the community centers, besides the partnered scholarships, we do individual tutoring, so kids from the community can come in, get the help that they need. We do internet safety classes for teenagers. Um, huge, huge issue, as it is here in the States as well. Um, the rise and the availability of online platforms to put young people at risk is terrifying. And the story after story after story of kids being trapped, you start with one decision and then you start down this pathway and then they think, I have no choice because what if mom and dad find out? Or you know, my, my family has been threatened or I'm already in too far deep or they're gonna hurt me. So to be able to get in front and to invite these kids and teenagers in and say, look, here's the risk factors, here's the platforms, here's what it's gonna look like, you need to be aware when it happens. So, Internet safety, we've got parent, we do parenting classes. We had a group of moms come to us recently and say, hey, we want to read, we want to learn to read. Will you teach us to read? And so we had six moms that said they were interested. We had a teacher come in with some um, with some curriculum to be able to start this class. We had 13 moms show up. And they are just tickled beside themselves because they're for the first time able to learning to read themselves. They can read their name. They're able then to come alongside and help their kids as their kids are in school. So super cool. And ju again, just an, another example of we're asking the community, what do you need? How can we help you? And then saying yes to those opportunities. So the cemetery communities for us are the most sacred privileged places. How many times in scriptures do we see that God is, that God cares for the poor, that he comes alongside the poor, that he's with the brokenhearted and the downcast? And the stories that we have heard from these parents and families of the way that Jesus has shown up. Stories from our, our Muslim friends there who have said, can you please tell me about this Jesus? In my religion, there's no place for my shame. But can you tell me about Jesus? Because there's a place there. And, and the life and the hope and the people that we are seeing, that we are getting to walk alongside as they discover the true, restorative, redemptive, hopeful power of Jesus for their future. 
The other really cool thing, and I'll end with this, is we have received word from our staff that work in the cemeteries. We've received word from them that the traffickers are no longer targeting the kids that are a part of our programs because they know that somebody's gonna come looking if something happens to them, and it's not worth the hassle. Somebody's watching, they're gonna come after us, they're gonna come find this kid if we do something to them. And to me, I think that right there is the very heart of Jesus. And that's what we're about here, too. That's Chapel Valley. You all are here in community together, watching out for each other, praying for for one another. When something happens, you know somebody's going to call and check up and say, no, come back. Nope, we're not going to let that happen to you. God sees you, I see you, I love you too much to let that harm come your way. That's the beauty of the local church. So thank you. Thank you, Jay and Susie. Thank you for providing space and making space for that to happen. Thank you, Kim and Tim, for creating and making space, and Pastor Larry, Pastor David, and all of you, thank you for creating that space for God's expression of hope and healing of love and restoration to be lived out in and through each of you. So I will be, I'll be in the lobby afterwards if you have questions, I'd love to chat with you, but mostly I'm just thrilled to be able to be here with you this morning and to be able to see just God's expression of love through you all, it's really an honor. Can I pray for you? Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord, that you, God, that you would bless and keep Chapel Valley, that you would make your face shine upon them, that you would give them hope and peace and life, and that the vision and the dreams and the opportunities would be open to them beyond what they would ever even ask or imagine as they continue to follow and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank Tracy Um, Can we pray for you? Is that okay? Can we just extend our hands to Tracy? And we're just going to pray over the her and the Compassion First team and the ministry the Lord's doing there. Father, we thank you for your compassion, for your love and your mercy, Lord, that you saw us, each one of us, where we were, that we were far from you, that we were separated and broken. And Lord, you jumped, Lord, and sent your son Jesus to die for us, to wash us, to care for us, to give us life with you forever. And Lord, you, your word says freely you have received, now freely give. And so, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the work of compassion, Lord, that you've done in Tracy and this Compassion First team. And, Lord, I pray that you would continue to strengthen them, Lord, to do the work, to do the assignment, Lord, that you've laid before them. Lord, that you would provide for them with every resource that is needed, Lord, for these precious lives, Lord, that are in the balance, that are at stake, Lord, that you would continue to pour out resources and abundance and, and opportunities and 
uh, people, Lord, to partner, Lord, that you would do the work, Lord, as they walk in obedience before you. Lord, I thank you for their heart. I thank you for what you have done through them. Lord, may you do it in us. May you give us a heart of compassion that, in that same way, Lord, that, that sees people and that is moved with compassion, Lord, that we would be people who declare your promises, that declare your truth, that would de- move in faith, Lord, and that you would pour out your spirit and move in power, Lord, wherever we go. Lord, I thank you for these uh, servants, Lord, whose hearts belong to you. We pray blessing over them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Let's just thank Tracy one more time. Thank you for coming. And uh, it sounds like if you would like to know more or how, you know, what what you can do to partner, um, you can go to that booth and be sure to have a conversation with her. Uh, after service today. Um, if you are, would have a prayer that, or would like prayer this morning, um, m- myself and some other people will be up available here to pray with you. Or if you're new here and you just want to say hello, we'd love to say hello. But um, can we do this? Can we stand together as we, as we dismiss? And uh, the Lord is good. Amen. The Lord is good. May you go and be, continue to be blessed and strengthened by him for every good work as you leave here. Um, we love you guys, and we'll see you next week. God bless you, and we'll see you. Take care.